Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm Stacy Wedding. I love it when we do that. It sounds like we're like a team. <laughs> uh, Go team. <laughs> Go team. Um, so this is a podcast where you send us questions. You send them through um, whatever means you think you can find to get to us. The nonprofiteverything.com webpage is a good way. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits website is a good place to send those questions in. Um, and you send us those questions, and Stacy and I do our best to answer those questions. If we don't know the answer, we like to bring in experts and uh, see what those experts can say. And with that, we will jump right in. We tried Giving Tuesday for the first time this year. While we gained seven new donors, including one new major donor, and had five existing donors support the cause, we had communicated a goal of $5,000 and only raised $2,000. For a small nonprofit, we're pretty happy with an extra $2,000 for our first go at it. But how do we communicate this now that we've publicized a higher goal? It's a great question and one that we hear a lot. And the reality is, is first of all, it is a success. You raised $2,000. It's not like you raised zip. So the first thing you want to do is say thank you so people don't feel defeated and your donors don't feel defeated in any way. You know, we raised thank you, you know, because of you. We were able to raise this amount, and this is what it's going to do. You can still help us reach our goal, which is ultimately to do this. So that's where I think you use the wording. It's not about repeating, oh, our original goal set for Giving Tuesday was 5000 You don't need to bring that up again. But what you can do is realize in Giving Tuesday is oftentimes a catalyst for additional dollars. So thank, you know, thank the donor, share what you're going to do with that, and say, but, you know, gosh, we hope you can help us reach our goal by the end of the year or whatever your time frame is, right? We have $3,000 more to raise. We can't do it without you. You know, here's, um, you know, here's what that extra money will do. And, and, you know, the rest is sort of history. So I think it's really kind of a nuanced approach, um, but definitely not saying, yeah, we failed because no one wants to, you know, give to a failing, somebody who failed or didn't reach a goal. Yeah, I, maybe I don't understand what the why the goal is so public to begin with. Like for giving to is, so I mean, a lot I don't of times. Understand. So a lot of times with some of these crowdfunding and and you know online giving platforms, they they encourage you. Sort of the science behind it is that by setting a goal publicly and actually telling donors, and some people have you know a thermometer or barometer or something to show, it actually incents donors to want to help you reach your goal. So if you get even closer to a goal. Um, the donors will throw in extra money or go get a friend, right, to help you reach that goal. I see. So there is some science behind it that really works well. So kudos to them for, you know, being bold out there. I guess I'd also say maybe in the future you really sort of take a check on how what how did you come up with a $5,000 goal, right? Um, did you just throw that out and say that would be nice? <laughs> yeah, it says, I mean, it says, it says that we're the, they tried giving Tuesday for the first time, so they had exactly zero history. So... I mean, the fact that you got, you know, two-fifths of the way there is actually not that bad. It isn't that bad. <laughs> it isn't that bad at all. So especially when there's a lot of competition with some of these online, you know, days of giving.
Okay, Stacy, our organization is almost five years old. Raising money and trying to deliver services and build a board and everything else is such hard work, a greater load than I ever imagined. We've struggled every step of the way. I'm the only staff. My board is very small and inexperienced. I'm thinking of looking into merging with an established org. Thoughts? My passion for this work is pretty much gone at this point. Oh, well, that makes me feel sort of sad. But yet, I think that's um, very real and vulnerable. And I think a lot of people have been in your shoes. So you're not alone, if that helps at all. Um, you know, I guess my sort of larger question is, is this really about, are you the only one losing that passion? Or is sort of everything limping along and struggling? Um, because, you know, the first five years of a startup of any organization is the hardest. And so my thought is, is you're, you're getting there, you're on the home stretch. So I'd hate to see all the work you've put in now just go away because you feel like you're, you're kind of reaching that burnout point. Um, so my thought is, is, you know, is it time for a vacation? Because I know that a lot of us in the sector, like, you know, don't ever actually take time off. Um, is it time perhaps to find some other volunteers or people who, you know, might be able to help you or, or sort of, um, you know, board members who can be a little more active um, and engaged to help you because it, it can feel lonely. And I guess what I'm hearing here is more of a personal burnout. I didn't hear that the whole organization, you know, the other, the board and stuff is feeling that way too. So it's not necessarily a uniform decision, um, but it is more of kind of a sort of a personal reflection period is, 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 you know, a recharge, like a vacation without help. I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a tough position to be in. I, it's hard to, I, for me, at least it's hard to answer the question just based on, on what you provided, because there's an underlying cause and the, there, and we need to figure out what the underlying cause is before you can address it. So one of the things you mentioned that it could be that that's in there is that there's a small board. So maybe your board is too small. Maybe there just aren't enough people to help carry the weight. Because if it's a one-person organization, there's a there's an executive director and then there's a board. That executive director is responsible for everything, and they need assistance. Um, and, and getting over that hump of getting enough money to hire somebody to do that it t- takes a really long time. Um, the Your passion for the organization was sort of how you phrased the question, too. It's like my passion for the organization is starting to wane. Um, that's interesting because... I, if you're the executive director, you should be getting paid for that work, and it should be the board's passion for the organization. So they should be the ones who are responsible for making sure that it's continuing. And it's a board's decision to let the, the organization thrive or go away or merge with another organization. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd take a vacation. I think that's yeah. absolutely yeah. The, the, the right answer for number one, just to kind of clear your head and figure out, you know, is this, is this what you want to be when you grow up? Um, because nonprofits are super hard and, and running one, a baby one by yourself with no assistance is practically impossible. It is. And I also think that, um, just, you know, when you hear people who've just started nonprofits and, you know, are in the early stages, like you are, many of them say, this is much harder than I thought. So if, you know, you go back and have a discussion with your board at some point, or they're feeling similar and, um, perhaps you make that decision, um, you know, there's a lot of other due diligence that has to be done. That's probably a whole other podcast question, right, around acquisitions and what you do to sort of, you know, mergers and acquisitions and how that works in the nonprofit sector. But I feel like the first, yeah, the first kind of step, like Andy was saying, was sort of trying to figure out a bit about, you know, where are you at, sort of your personal, um, kind of your personal place in all of this. And, And yeah, maybe a vacation can help provide you some perspective and uh, hopefully you can get through this. I know it's tough. So maybe one thing that that 
that you could do is look at you know a, a really successful organization. The thing that makes this an organization really successful is that the the mission is so important that people can't help fund it. They they have to fund it because they see this is exactly what we need in this space at this time. So so maybe the mission isn't defined well enough for you to be able to collect new board members. You know, if if your organization is doing something really spectacular and if you've got a good idea and the need is really strong, it shouldn't be that hard to convince new people to come on board, especially board members. It shouldn't be hard to convince funders. So if you're maybe you're doing something, you know, if you're talking about merging with another organization, maybe you're doing something that's truly duplicative and you're not doing it in a way that's different enough that it needs to exist on its own. So, so there, you know, there are other things that you could look at. I also think perhaps you need to go back to think about what was the original passion that got you involved and had you want to, you know, made you want to step into that executive director role. What was it that lit your fire with that? Because my guess is, and my sense is, when people's passion starts to wane, it's often because they've lost touch with that original purpose that got them there. So for example, you can get so bogged down, right, with managing a board or paperwork or all the stuff that comes with being a, you know, a nonprofit ED that you don't actually go out in the field and get to always, you know, see everything you want to see. Now, because you're an only, you're a solo ED, I'm guessing you're still doing that, but perhaps there's a way to just get more in touch with what it was that originally lit your fire. Um, because that can sometimes help cure all of this in a second. You know, you have a couple of weeks of a lot of paperwork or you're doing, you know, your 990 or whatever it is that just is the part that maybe you're not crazy about doing. And how can you pepper in some of that stuff that really is what makes your heart sing a bit? Oh, yeah, that's really good advice. I had an executive director that um, back when I was in the museum world, um, he would say, like, you're required at least at least once a week to just go visit the museum. Just go wander around like you're a tourist and look at what everybody else is looking at and get a sense of why this exists. Um, and it is. It's really recharging if, if that's what you're passionate about, being able to just go and, and experience it and not think about, you know, this is what I'm worrying about today and experience it the way somebody who doesn't have any knowledge of anything experiences it. It, it, it is a little bit recharging. And I would reconnect with you. So reconnect with your why. And there's a great Simon Sinek video that if you just literally Google Simon Sinek, the why. Literally, he does a, a nice little, um, you know, it's a TED Talk or whatever it was. You can find it on YouTube. There's a great talk about how we can get stuck in the, the muck of the what and the how, and we forget about the why. So that's another thing that maybe that could provide some inspiration for you. Definitely. And check out the show notes. We'll put a link to anything we talk about. There'll be a link in the show notes, so you could just click right away. ED of a nonprofit that works to provide food, clothing, and shelter for homeless individuals. A couple of my board members aren't satisfied with this Band-Aid approach and want us to start attacking the root cause of homelessness. This seems like a huge step for us, and I'm not sure it's something we really have the knowledge to even solve. How do I talk these board members down from the tree? Wow. That's a tree. <laughs> <laughs> a really big That's tree. That's a really big tree. Man, how did these board members get on the board first? Okay, so, all right, before I just freak out on it. Um, <laughs> so, so the challenge is, and, and generally, this is interesting, generally you hear this from funders who are not very knowledgeable. You hear, apologies to non-knowledgeable funders that are listening. Um, you hear people say, like, I don't want to fund it because it doesn't solve the problem. I just get asked again later. And, and that is usually them telegraphing. I'm just, you know, I can't think of a good reason to tell you no, 
right? Because they're always looking for a absolutely. Yeah, so they're, they're just looking for nice an excuse. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice letdown, and it's it's not something that you can necessarily change. So it's not like something you can fix and then come back to them and say, "Hey, we fixed it." Right? It's interesting to hear that from board members. Um, so first thing I'd do is I'd put my business hat on. Um, it's not a real hat. It should be. I need a business <laughs> hat. We put your business hat on, and you say, "Okay." Um, you would say you have a dry cleaning business and your dry cleaning business, you want to get more customers. And so you start looking at what's called vertical integration, which is what can we do? Can we get into the manufacturer of dry cleaning chemicals? Can we start manufacturing clothes? Can we come up with something that makes clothes dirty so we have more customers? You look at ways to sort of expand out of it. And the reason that lots of organizations don't just immediately jump into vertical integration is number one, there's already somebody in that space that's doing it better. Number two, it's expensive. And number three, that's not where your expertise and experience is. So that's the sort of the, the killer piece of it is you are good at one thing. Um, you were designed, your nonprofit was likely designed to be good at one particular thing. And you should do that. And if, if you're done, if you've solved that piece of it, or you've, you're doing it so well that you can't expand, that's the time that you start to think maybe there's something else that we can do. So um, I, I hate to always take it back to food banks, but that's a good example. Um, and it's one that I understand. So if for any given community, there is a, a, an amount of hunger. So in, in Las Vegas, I'm sure the numbers are wrong. It used to be 50 million pounds of food. So if you could source 50 million pounds of quality, donated, nutritious food into the community, everybody that needed food, it would be available to them, you know, um, which then, if you think about it, just sort of moves the problem. It doesn't make it a quantity of food bringing into the community problem. It makes it a how do we get the food to the people who need it? So is the, do we have the, the endpoints that we need in the neighborhoods that we need it? Do they have transportation to get it to them? Those kinds of things. So the problem starts to move once you've solved the problem that you're working on. In this case, I mean, don't give us a lot of information about your nonprofit, but in this case, I don't think you're there. I think, I think you've got antagonist board members that yeah, need to be out of the tree. Well, and I, you know what I think as well is I'm trying to think of the psychology behind those board members, what's going on in their head. And what leads you down the path of root cause is usually if you feel like what you're doing currently isn't ha making an impact. So my question would be, are there ways to even share with them more? I mean, certainly you can talk about the whole cycle of homelessness and share the important role your organization has in it and what lives you're touching and changing as a result. And candidly, there's issues like this, right, that are never probably going to go away. They might get reduced. Homelessness might someday, you know, we might see a decline, but this isn't something that's going away. So your services are always going to be needed. So I think being able to kind of get behind this, like what's going on in those board members' brains, right, is almost an analysis of, okay, here's what other organizations are doing that re are doing in our community for that already. Maybe they come in as a guest speaker at a board meeting and just share, but making sure they also share how your organization is vital, right? How it's part of the entire puzzle. And I think that could help perhaps, A, help board members realize, yeah, other people have this because that's their actual mission. Because that's the other thing that gets me riled up about this question is I'm like, this isn't even your mission. I mean, you set up your nonprofit with a particular mission to provide food, clothing, and shelter. Right. And now these board members are going rogue, wanting a totally, it's like, okay, great. If that, if you're not tied to our mission anymore, go, go be on one of those other boards. I mean, that's the reality of it. Yeah. That, that's, I think that's, that's the exact right answer. I think what you just said. Um, the, 
occasionally I'll use, with people that say that to me in the community, sometimes the analogy that I'll use is you, you're considering it a Band-Aid, but there's a use for a Band-Aid. I mean, it's to stop bleeding. It's so that you're going to get blood everywhere. It's to make the problem not get worse. And, and if you kind of follow that analogy to its illogical conclusion, it's like saying, why do we have ambulances? Because those people are going to die in 70 years anyway. It's just a Band-Aid. It's, it's not a permanent, you know, we're not fixing those people forever. We're just yeah. getting them to the hospital. Yeah. So why do we even have great that? Great point. You know, so, so you're right. It's a link in the chain. And, and homelessness, I mean, that's a tough one. So how do you solve that? <laughs> So I had so my my students at UNLV. I teach a class in social entrepreneurship at UNLV, and one of the class projects that they wanted to work on was to help solve homelessness. And so what they came up with was this tiny hotel project. And one of the challenges that they kept coming up with is like, so so say we do this and we just now have housing for everybody. Like, so what's to stop it? You know, like how do we? Like, is that really the right solution? Absolutely. Is that the, is that what we should be working on? And that I think that's a better question for your board too. Is like, yeah. so what do you really want to be working on? Yeah. Do you want to be working on job training? Do you want to be working on mental illness? Yes. You know, what what space do you want to be in? Because we're kind of in the homelessness space, right? Right. right. Form 990 has a question about whistleblower policies. Is there one we can download somewhere? Yes, that's such an easy question. So um, the the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits website uh, has a section. Um, it's the, under the About Us link, um, and the link directly to that whole section will be in the show notes. So go to nonprofiteverything.com, find this episode, and then down at the bottom, it'll have a bunch of links about all the things we talked about in this episode. Just click that link, and it'll take you right to that section, and you can see all of the policies that are available. So yes, the answer, it's available. It's, um, it was written specifically to be able to be transferred to other organizations. Um, it's, we've had an attorney look at it, so it's kind of already half-blessed. You should definitely want your organization to bless it as well. Um, but yeah, that's available for you just to download. I do think with policies like this, when I hear a question about can I just you know, download it or find it somewhere. I, I totally get the, the why reinvent the wheel, right? I get that. But I also think there's an importance in understanding what is the point of a whistleblower policy, right? What is, so it's not just, okay, check this off because now I can say, here right. it is. For I, my have one. I don't know right? what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue what whistleblower is. So whistles or something. Yeah. So, you know, and I think it's a great, I mean, in a nutshell, at least in my layman's terms, the way I describe it is sort of, you know, it's a tool that helps protect individuals and staff in an organization who report activities, right? If, they, if, if let's say a staffer felt like something illegal was happening or something dishonest, unethical, something improper, right? And that staff member went and reported it to whomever, their boss or whomever, you know, appropriate in the organization, there's no retaliation, right? They're protected from being fired because they brought up this complaint. So whistleblowers sort of helps provide and insulate um, some of those situations. So it makes it okay for you as, you know, an employee to share if there's something not right going on. I don't know, Andy, if you have a different Yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly yeah. what it is. The, I think the most important thing about, first of all, absolutely echo, you should understand what it is before you just check the box. Um, a whistleblower policy specifically is really important, in, especially in smaller nonprofits where you have events and you have staff there with drinks in their hands. And, you know, every once in a while, weird stuff kind of happens. And you need to have a, a very clear, spelled out way in order for employees to say, I wasn't comfortable in this situation or something weird happened or I didn't like this. 
Um, and it's even worse when it's a staff member and a board member, like a board member gets inappropriate with the staff member at a gala event. It's, I'm only saying it because I know that it's happened. Um, that, that what's the process of making sure that that staff member is protected? That the reason that you want to do it is not because you want to just like make them go away, but it's because there's a huge power differential. And this is one of the ways to deal with that huge power differential. The other reason you want to do it is that if you end up in court and you do not have a whistleblower policy, anybody in the chain of command that was that failed um, in, in helping these illegal things get reported properly gets fined. And the fines are expensive, like half a million dollars for like because you tried to find out who, you know, because the executive director tried to dig in and find out who it was that reported it, that kind of thing which would be prevented by a whistleblower policy can get the executive director fined a lot of money and the board fined a lot of money too. So, Yikes. yeah. Nobody it's, wants that. No, yeah. you have to have one. Find well, out what it is first. Uh, yeah, find <laughs> out what it is. And I also think that there's um, opportunity. Um, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking a little bit about, I've had organizations say, well, gosh, what if we're super tiny and the only one to like, like, who do I report to? This policy should outline, right? There should be a procedure tied to this policy of where you go. Because obviously, if let's say it's a two-person staff, I'm just going to use that as an example, and you're whatever, a program, you know, manager, and your executive director did something that made you, you know, that rose to a level of whistleblower, where do you go? So I think having an organization also talk through is there, you know, there's some organizations that have hotlines where you report it. There's somewhere it's a designated board member, but somebody that you've figured out that process internally. So everyone knows this is where I go if something happens. Yeah. When you draft your annual budget, do you attempt to break even on revenue and expenses or do you shoot for a surplus? Ugh. Man, you should shoot for a surplus, but I, this is, I mean, anybody that's ever gone through the nonprofit budgeting process knows that that's like a dream of like the future, <laughs> right? You, the first draft of the budget comes in, you assemble the numbers and you're like, oh, it's 3 million off this year, <laughs> right? It's some massive number and you're like, how on earth, right? So the process of going through and figuring out where you can hack it down to, I think um, in a, in a healthy organization, you're going to want to budget for a couple of things. Um, you're going to include things in your budget um, that you would normally use a surplus for. So if you want to put some money away, if you want a rainy day fund, and nonprofits should think about whether or not it's useful to have a rainy day fund, you should budget for your rainy day fund. If you have equipment and you know, you've got some trucks and stuff and you've got, they depreciate, you can keep track of that depreciation. It's an irritating thing that you have to do, right? You but what that number is telling you is that these assets we have right now are decaying at a particular rate. So it may be useful to put in a let's repair and replace some of the stuff that we have and use that depreciation number that's coming out as, a, as something that you want to be able to put into a fund to be able to replace things. So it kind of depends on how you're assembling your budget. Um, it's okay to break even as long as you've got those things in there that you're going to need for the future. Um, Sur surpluses are great. They happen all the time. I don't know that I would ever necessarily budget for a surplus. I would just make sure that there were there were things in there that you wanted to use a surplus for. Well, and I think surplus brings up another question that uh, some of you listeners may have had from a board member saying, oh, we're a nonprofit, so we can't 
have a profit or we can't have a surplus, which obviously is bogus. Um, but how do you address that question when you get that from a board member, Andy? <laughs> Usually it's the withering stare, I yeah, think. Yeah. The, yeah, that's that's nonsense. The, the word nonprofit, as everyone who's listening to this knows, is um, sort of an artifact <laughs> of a bygone era um, where it means not necessarily nonprofit, but non-shareholder generating profits, right? So you can't have people that are taking the money once profit is generated, that it has to be reinvested in the organization. That's the only difference. And for that, you get the opportunity to get a tax deduction when you fundraise. Well, and I've heard people get weird about it. I've heard, sadly, I've been in too many board meetings where this topic comes up, and then you have board members say, oh, but would a donor or a funder really want to give to us if we're showing a surplus on our budget? And the reality is, is I actually think in many ways, as long as you're showing, here's what, you know, here's what that surplus will help us do. Maybe it is building our endowment. Maybe it is our rainy day fund, whatever that is. But it's interesting because I think that people are scared of that. And that's just good business. I mean. Yeah, it's the only the only time when you have smart business people like basically check their brains out yeah. when they walk in the door it's crazy. is, is you know, so that what they're saying is that donors will think, and I've heard this from, I've heard this from organizations all the time. Donors will think that if we have too much money that we're, we're, we don't, we don't need it. And while that can be true, that's not what you should be selling. What you should be selling is solving the problem that you're working on, whatever that social thing is that your, right. your nonprofit is designed to address. That's what you should be talking about. If it's compelling and you're doing a good job at it and people want to give you more money to do it, awesome. Figure out a way to reach more people. Figure out a way to do it more effectively. Figure out a way to you know, bring other people into the fold or make your you – know, there's there's tons of stuff that you would love to be able to do that you can't do because you don't have a budget for it and and I don't think and I'd love I'm sure there's science about that I'm, you know we should ask somebody who knows but I I don't think that donors in general look at an organization's um, profit and loss and say you made too much money last year because it's so crazy like you the the way the nonprofit budgets always work is. You're you're squeaking along and you're getting near the end of the year and you're like so close and then somebody dies and right. gives you three million dollars. Right, right. And you're like, ah, if that hadn't happened, we would have totally missed it. But now we're like two point nine million dollars over what yes. we were planning, right? So what are we going to do with this, right? So and that's for larger organizations that happens all the time because mm-hmm. you you never know when mm-hmm. those bequests are going to mm-hmm. hit and those mm-hmm. weird things are going to hit. So um, yeah. I don't know. So how do you address the, so the, if a board member is truly saying that, if a board member is really saying like we should break even, we shouldn't have a profit. Like, do you just say, Hey, there's this thing called Google. You should check it out. <laughs> you know what? I, in, in situations like that, I love bringing in someone because at that point, probably nothing I say is going to change the board member's mind. So at that point I say, you know, it's a, it's a question that why don't we pose it to XYZ funder or our donor, why don't we have them be a guest at one of our board meetings and share with us a little bit about their what they look for and why they've chosen us in the past? And why don't you ask them that question? That's a great idea. Yeah, because God, let them say it and hear it from, you know, the person they're theoretically making up stories about. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. All 
All right, that's a wrap. We have finished another episode of Nonprofit Everything, and we wouldn't be here without you, our listeners. So thank you for joining us. As you know, you can always send us a question, and you can always check out our host, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which uh, is is great for sort of underwriting this this uh, time and, and support for the community. So we hope you're enjoying it, and uh, we encourage you to just you know, spread the word, share this with a friend, share this with a board member, a colleague that has a question too, because the more the merrier, as they say. Mm-hmm.